right, this morning I have the privilege of in introducing our, our speaker today, and uh, we're so honored to have Pastor Rick and Michelle in the house today. We're so blessed by these guys, yeah. Listen, we, we know with great certainty that the experiences we're having in every one of our campuses is definitely a God thing, but we know that God uses people. And so none of us would be sitting here if it wasn't for the obedience of this family to move from the muck and mire of the state of Louisiana and come to the natural state where the presence of God rules. Come on, somebody. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. So that's been 16 years ago, 14 campuses, hopefully four more by the end of this year. And uh, like I told you last week, we had almost 29,000 people in attendance for Easter with almost 900 decisions to follow Christ. Baptized half of those people last weekend. So God is up to something great. And uh, we're just so honored that four years ago, Pastor Rick and Michelle invited us on, on this journey and welcomed us as part of the Arkansas God Seas. We love this community. Robbie was raised here. I graduated high school here. My grandfather bailed hay on this property up until last year, and that's because we bought it. He can't do it anymore. And so um, we have deep, deep roots here. We love this, this place, and we're just so honored. And we are so thankful uh, for Pastor Rick and Michelle. I want you to make some noise and get on your feet today for our lead pastor, Pastor Rick. down your grandfather's business? Yeah. Wow. Turn to the person. Keep standing. Keep standing. Turn to the person next to you and say, you don't look that good. <laughs> Tell them that. And, and, then, and then turn to somebody else and say, I heard you singing, and you jacked it up big time. <laughs> and then high five somebody and tell them to sit down and shut up. Hey, if you love God, would you give the Lord a hand? Come on in this place. <laughs> your pastors. I did not know that this church shut down his grandfather's business. Uh, sad about that. But listen, whenever you go to a church, you want to always look around and see, is it, a, is it a safe place? Do they teach the word here? Do they respect the name of Christ? Uh, do they have integrity? Like when no one's looking, do they do it right? And I'll tell you right now, you have some of the best pastors I have ever met in my 30 years of being in ministry, the Kevin and Robbie and Riley. I just appreciate their heart. I don't necessarily like their choice of football, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, seriously, when, when you get up every day and you're in the ministry, it's, it's a very intimidating thing. Frankly, even in my life, I don't understand why the Lord called me. It doesn't make sense why he called me, but I do know that he did call me, and so I try to walk out in the confidence uh, that, that I have sometimes, but a lot of times I don't have it. Uh, so when I pray for the Searcy campus and, uh, you know, and for the Lord's hand to be on it, uh, you can't help but, but thank the Lord for people who pray and seek the Lord uh, like the leaders that are here. And to get this campus ready for today... I hope you guys don't think this was cake. Uh, they were working on it all day yesterday, every day, up until all day yesterday, and uh, barely got approval to move into this building. You have people on the soundboard that were trying to EQ the sound for the first time 
uh, with people in a room, and then you have people working in children's room. Uh, they didn't know if it was going to. The air conditioner went out because it was, you know, because of the, the humidity and the, the temperature outside. All these things are just trying to learn. Would you give all the workers a hand? Because a lot of them are seated in this room and working in different parts. Thank God for that. And then Stuart, uh, the builder, help. Stuart, are you in this room right now? He probably's home sleeping. And uh, would you stand up, my brother Stuart? And Kevin's been bragging about you every day for a long time. That's the builder of this building. Thank God for him. All right, I want to share my heart with you. Uh, Kevin actually asked me to share my life message on Be Real. And frankly, I've been able to speak this at just about every grand opening that we've had. Um, I was not able to speak at your initial grand opening at the last place, so I'm very thankful to, be, to take out my heart and to share this with you. And I want you to pay attention to what I'm talking about today in terms of the values. Now, when we moved here 16 years ago, we only knew one family in the state of Arkansas, and I was, it, was, it was crazy, it was intimidating to move here. Uh, but I had four kids. One, one of my kids is here right now. Grace, would you stand up? Would you stand? Come on, my daughter. And by the way, she's single. And, uh, and I've always wanted her to marry a good church Christ boy, so that's why she's here. And uh, so anyway, y'all interviews start in the foyer right after. And then Michelle moved with me because it's my wife. Would you stand up too? And uh, so I love, love that lady. She's pretty. She's pretty, huh? And, um, but we have four kids, and when I first moved here, all four of my kids were with me in Walmart, and a lady came up to me, an elderly lady. Michelle was not with me. And she came up to me, and she said, are those all your kids? And I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, you must really like kids. I said, well, I have four kids because I love my wife. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> but when we moved here, my son, Tanner, who was around, my goodness, uh, six or seven years of age. And uh, Tanner uh, was going around when we first started the church. He was telling everybody that he wanted, he wanted extra cookies. Like, and, and the way he would do it is he would tell people he was the pastor's son, and that's how he leveraged to get extra animal crackers. And so my wife is just not going to put up with that. So she went up to him, and now you got to remember, when you first start a church, you want a good name. You want to make sure that your reputation is solid. You don't want rumors, and so keep that in mind. So she went up to him, and she said, son, are you going around telling people that you are the pastor's son so you can get extra cookies during kids' ministry? And he goes, yes, ma'am, and it's working good. I got seven of them last week. (laughs) And my wife said, no, 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 that's not how we roll You just tell them you're Tanner. That's your name, Tanner. Don't tell them anything else, just Tanner. So, true story. Next weekend, a lady went up to him. Now, remember, we're trying to have a good name. (laughs) She went up to him, and she goes, aren't you the pastor's son? He said, well, I thought I was. (laughs) But my mom said, I'm not. (laughs) So, So, as a church, we didn't grow much that first year. I want to talk to you guys about being real because fake is exhausting. Like, I've never met a believer yet that said, I just love to hang out with people who are faking their relationship with God. I've never met that believer. But the Spirit of God doesn't like it either. And I'm so thankful that the Lord wants to be real with us. But the Bible says when you draw near to God, it's for a reason. 
In fact, it goes so far as to say in Hebrews, it says, draw near to God with a sincere heart to be real. The problem is a lot of people, if they've been serving the Lord for a long time, it doesn't matter denominational background you might have or whatever it might be, if you serve the Lord for a long time, there there's seasons where you get dry and you're weary, and then and then you know what a Christian's supposed to be like, so it's easy to get into the mode where you are no longer being sincere with your friends or your God. And this is precisely the way I was raised. I was raised in a very legalistic church. It was nothing like most of the churches that I know of in this city. Uh, it was a very judgmental church, and the people were mean that were there. And, uh, and in fact, my Sunday school teacher was the meanest person in the room, in the church. And I was eight years of age, and she would point at me, and her finger was 30 foot long, I know for sure, because that was the dimensions of the class, and I was up against the back wall, and she would say, you're going to hell. Every, every week, she would tell me that at eight years of age. Point at me, hell is hot. And you're going, she talked like a man who smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> Hell is hot. And you're going, one day she said, don't you want to go to heaven? I said, not if you're going to be there. <laughs> but, okay. She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. <laughs> but I, I remember, here, here, okay, it's kind of funny now, but then I actually thought God hated me. I never thought the Lord wanted me in. I thought he wanted me out. I never knew that, that he wanted me to, to even pray, I think. I remember when my parents went through a divorce when I was in junior high, and I remember thinking it's probably because of me, because of my sin. I remember thinking that for a while. I remember one time having a pain in my side and thinking, I bet it's cancer. God hates me. Because this, this is what I came to, to believe. You're not going to grow in that environment. I never knew the Lord wanted me in. I thought he wanted me out. So if he wants you in, how do you move toward him? Well, I'm glad you asked because this passage of Scripture says it for us. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, if we could go to that passage of Scripture, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, I want to ask everybody to say confidence, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Here's the verse. This is the text. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. In full assurance of faith. So it mentioned confidence, and now it says full assurance of your faith. Having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Could you all look here for a minute? The number one deterrent of the people that are in this room, and it's for sure... It's definitely guilt. Like some of you even think, well, I do believe the Lord loves me, but there's one or two things that I have done in my life, and I don't know if he can forgive me for those things. And, 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 and to be clear, theologically, when you think that way, it's, it's like you're saying, the cross was amazing. Thank you for dying for my sins, but it wasn't enough. The Bible even goes so far as to say that it's like crucifying him all over again. So I want to talk about that guilty conscience in a little bit. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, and look at this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Look at me for a minute. 
as long as you come to this church, I know that one day we'll hurt people that are in this room. Because church, it just sometimes we make mistakes. But we want to love people. And we're asking for you to help. Because we're going to drop the ball someday. There are some people that are here, not here right now because in, the, in their journey, maybe someone didn't call them enough, didn't pray for them enough. I want you to let the Lord show you who they are and let's get them back. Can I have an amen on that? So it's, there's times where you need to be encouraged. But a lot of people, they just live alone. Like they, So many of my pastoral friends, they don't have anyone to share their heart with. Do you know how lonely that is? How miserable these people are? Keep this in mind. Consider that. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all, as all the more and all the more as we see the day approaching. All right. Uh, I want to talk to you just for a little bit about how to make these moves. Uh, I, I've raised four kids, and it's not Kate. Raise your hand if you're raising kids, okay? If you're raising kids, there are times where you tell your kids stuff like, it's minutia-like, like it's really not that important. It's just, it's just kind of important, like, like close the door. I mean, it's important, but it's not, it's not that important. There are other times you say, hey, don't, don't run through the living room or whatever it is, or when they leave, don't forget to bring home your shoes because they leave shoes all over the place, <laughs> those kind of things. But there are other times where what you're about to tell them could save their life. So you always want to get their attention. So you call them over, and you ever grab your kid by the face? What I'm about to tell you, you better listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. Look. And you finally get them. Do you want me to do to you what I did to your brother? I don't have a brother. See, you want me to do that? That kind of stuff. But then finally, you'll, you'll look at them, and you'll tell them, hey, you really need to get what I'm about to say. I want you to try to frame this, if you don't mind, in such a way today, like the Lord is trying to grab your face to tell you, you really need to get this. Because I've I've been pastoring now for 30 years, and a lot of believers have peaked in their, some say, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Yeah. I think it's more accurately said you've you, 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 this is the way they say it. They go, I, I've experienced 20 years experience as a believer. But to me, it's more like you just have one year experienced 20 times. Like you, you, you really haven't grown much in the last 19 years. Like you came out of the gates on fire. What happened? Like Paul said, you were running the race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? So the first thing that's related to a move is that it's your move to have confidence in your approach to God. Confidence in your approach to God. I want to mention some of the heroes of the faith. I want you to think about, like if you've been around the Bible some, you'll know some of these names. Uh, And if you haven't been around the Bible, this won't really relate to you much. But uh, in the Bible, there's this guy named Jonah. When Jonah was called on by God, he went in the opposite direction. Like, this is what we tend to do. Like, the Lord wanted him to go to Nineveh. He went to Tarshish. If you look at it on the map, it's the exact opposite direction. Why did he do that? Because he, he really didn't believe he could ever have love for those people in Nineveh. And he just was afraid. A lot of times, the Lord will ask you to do something that's bigger than what your confidence is all about. What, what about Noah? 
Yes, he built an incredible boat, and he was righteous, but he also became the father of all drunks. Like, what happened there? What, what about Abraham? He was 100 years old when the Lord showed up finally and said, go to babies or us. It's time to have kids. 100. His wife was 100. That's nasty. Okay, let's keep going, all right? What about Isaac? He was a daydreamer. Jacob, he was a liar. Gideon was afraid. He was threshing wheat in a hole in the ground. He's supposed to thresh wheat out where the wind blows so it can separate the dirt from the wheat. But he's in a hole in the ground because of an enemy nation. And God shows up and looks in the hole through a theophany. It was like an angel looked down in there and said, Hey, mighty warrior. And he's like, I'm not mighty at all. I'm afraid. And I'm the weakest in my family. And my family's the weakest in the whole tribe. But God was speaking to him something that wasn't yet, but that ended up being. What about Moses? He was a murderer. Moses carried down the Ten Commandments. Have you ever thought about this? Do you think he ever read the Ten Commandments? Go like this, yes. One of them said, thou shalt not murder. Moses was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian with a knife. But he still brought the commandments down. If it would have been me, I would have said, and here are the nine commandments. I would have kicked one out. I know I would have. David, he was an adulterer and covered it with murder. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah, that dude preached naked for three years. That's also nasty. (laughs) Jeremiah, way too emotional. This guy, if you read him, he probably liked bubble baths while listening to Michael Buble on Pinterest. I know. (laughs) Peter, he did not even know in Christ. Zacchaeus, too small. Lazarus, he was dead for three days and God used him. What's your excuse? It's your move. Some of you might even migrate to this prayer, and it sounds so pure, but it's not. You may pray, Lord, do something in my life someday. Well, it's your move. Like he's made some major moves to reach you. It's your move, but why do we not move? I don't move sometimes because I don't, I still to this day, because of the way I was raised, I was thinking that God didn't love me, and it's hard for me to make a move. Like, he probably doesn't want me to move. He doesn't want to use, this is still my default mode. So, I want you to think about this woman in the Bible who was caught in adultery just for a second. Let's just say right now, you're here right now, and you have a secret sin, like like it's messing you up, Okay? Well, you're probably never going to repent of it and turn if you don't know how much the Lord wants to forgive you and for you to change. Okay? So here's the example. This woman was caught in adultery, thrown at the feet of Jesus, and there she is at his feet. And, and the religious people were a lot like my Sunday school teacher. They, they said, this woman was caught in adultery. We need to kill her. I want you to watch this. Jesus said, you know what? You're right. Let's kill her. This is what Jesus said. But then he said. How many like it when then Jesus said? I love the rest of it. He said, yeah, let's kill her, but let's do it this way. Let's let the one who's without sin throw the first rock. And then he reached down and wrote on the ground twice. We don't know what he wrote, but we all really want to know what he wrote. But I do know after he wrote, one at a time, these religious people started dropping rocks and walking away. This woman knows it's over for her. She's probably even seen it happen. It's probably her worst fear. 
She knows what the religious people say about her, but she did not know what Jesus said about her. So all of a sudden they're gone, and then this is where it gets cool. Jesus looks at this woman who thinks it's over, who would have never repented of her sin. Why should she if there's no hope to get out of it? All she can do is hide it. And now Jesus looks at her and he goes, woman, where are your accusers and those that condemn you now? And she's like having a bad day and all of a sudden a good day. And she goes, this is, they're gone. And then, but she's thinking, but he could still throw a rock. Jesus could, she didn't know Jesus is not a rock thrower. So she looks at him and he goes, and neither do I condemn you. Now here's the good part. He said, now you go and sin no more. Like the grace is not for you just to keep sinning. The grace is for you to repent. Like this woman looked into the eyes of forgiveness. Can you imagine her life? Well, it's no different than yours. To be forgiven, like there's no way she went right back into a life of adultery. There's just no way she went back. There's no way because nothing can compete with this forgiveness. Like if you had looked at her and said, you trashy thing, you smell, look at the sin in your life. Let me write down all the people you've slept with. Now get out of here and sin no more. She would have went right back in. But this is not what happened. She was able to be forgiven. You will never enjoy your walk with God ever until you know that he is great at forgiving people. I guess this reminds me of my son. My son, Hunter, has always been a really happy kid. Most of my kids are happy kids, especially Grace, who's single and not married. And, uh, but but my, my son, Hunter, when he was four years old, I took him fishing. And, but we weren't catching anything, but he didn't care. He was just happy, so he just started throwing rocks. And so when he wasn't looking, I was still trying. And then I caught a fish, and he wasn't looking, so I reeled it in. I took it off my hook, and I put it on his hook, and I let it out, and I was just trying to manipulate the circumstance. And so, anyway, I said, Hunter, come on over. I think you'll catch something now. And he came over, and he picked up his rod and reel. He's like, Dad, this is amazing, Dad. He's jumping up and down, and he caught the fish. He was jumping up and down. I was like, man, I'm such a good dad. <laughs> the next day, I said, Hunter, what did we do yesterday? He said, we went fishing. I said, yeah, but did we catch anything? He said, no, but you did, and you took it off the hook and put it on my hook. <laughs> yeah. So I said, Hunter, you knew that the whole time? You looked happy, son. You look, you look like you knew that the whole time you looked happy. He said, Dad, I was happy. I was with you. All the ladies. <laughs> At every time, I oh, yeah. Because it's an incredible thing to be around joy and a father who brings you joy and there's no one like father god like to be around you even when life changes like you don't get what you initially went for if you get to hang out with the father it's still good number two let's keep moving it's your move to not be afraid it says in hebrews 10 it says let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful Here, here's a question why are you so afraid? This is the one thing. I, I bring people into my office. I'm a pastor, and I love people so much. And I'll find out there's two things that knock people out, guilt and fear. These are the two primary things. 
Like they don't feel like the Lord loves them because they've blown it. And they, they remember behind them. They have better vision behind them and in front of them. But the other one is fear, like afraid. Like, do you know how many young people choose a major in college? Look at, look at me, young people. Do you know how many young people choose a major in college that they hate? Because the one they're called to do, they're too afraid to go and do it? Do you know how many relationships have been torn away from you and a phone call could restore it? Like a best friend growing up, someone who used to worship with you, someone who used to pray with you and they fell away, but you won't make the call because you're afraid. What if they reject you? Do you know how many business ideas that God has dropped on men and women? And Do you know how many jobs you could have, but you just won't even apply for it because of fear? One time Jesus told the disciples, he goes, get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. They got in the boat and it was going to the other side, and, uh, but then a storm hit. And as the storm hit, they freaked out. One of them shook Jesus and said this. This is what happens when you get afraid. They shook Jesus, who was in the boat with them. And when they shook him, one of them said this. Jesus, we're going to die. Here it is right here. Don't you care? You don't care. That creates more fear than anything else when you think that he doesn't even care. You talk about hinder your, your, your life. Jesus stood up, he calmed the storm, and he looked at him. He goes, and they were like, man, he didn't know he could calm them that fast. And then Jesus said, you have little faith, but why are you so afraid? How many of you, quick survey, how many of you, someday you would love to go to heaven? Would you raise your hand? Okay, that's a good vote. But I want you to think about it just for a second. Let's go there just for a second. You're in heaven. You see the power of his name, just how big he is, the majestic side of God. And then maybe this is why the scripture says he's going to wipe away a tear. Like, what tear is he going to wipe? What? What tear? Maybe the tear, and I don't know, this is conjecturing. But maybe when we look back to now, when we see how big and powerful he is, Maybe when we look back to now, we'll think, why was I so afraid? If I would have known he was this big, I would have never lived this way. Like, what? why didn't I go for it more? Like, why did I allow everyone else just to, to get ahead of me in the things of God? Why, did, why was I always pivoting away from the things of the Lord? Listen, I believe that the Lord would want you to live today with confidence, like today. Let's not get it later. Let's get it today. Can I have an amen? There's this guy named Joseph in the Bible. He was a dreamer. Are you a dreamer? Like, did you used to have it? Has fear brought that down? Joseph, when he was far away, his brothers were next to him, and they just, they just looked at each other, and they go, look, the dreamer's coming. You can tell from a long ways off, especially in the walls of your home, who in that home is dreaming and who put down their dream. And to be completely honest with you, it's tough to live in a home with someone who lost their dream. Why are you so afraid? Number three, it's your mood to be sincere in your relationship with God and your approach to God. It says, let us draw near to God. Let's read that verse in Hebrews 10, uh, 22. If y'all could go to that verse, it says, 
Let us draw out loud. Say it. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Say it again a little bit louder. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. All right, let's hold it. Or approach to God, like, to be real. Okay, my story, and I've shared this everywhere. This is going to get awkward, all right? I'm just going to tell you this is going to be a little bit awkward. The first year that I got married, Michelle and I didn't have a great marriage that year. Everybody has bad seasons, but our first year was just difficult. And I remember we were arguing. You know that verse that says, don't go to bed with anger in your heart? We were staying up for like the 10 to 12 days at a time. Okay, that's totally out of context. I'm kidding. But there was tough moments. Well, when I was in Bible school, this is the way a lot of Bible schools still are. Not all of them. Probably not like the one that's in this town. But a lot of them are this way. They teach you as a pastor, if you're going to be in ministry, that ministry is lonely and that you have to pray it through and that you can't have any friends. 25, 30 years ago when I was in school, they would teach you the protocol, sit in chairs on the stage away from everyone else and that you're the anointed one. So I remember thinking, I'm not going to be able to be real. Like I have to act like I've got it together when I don't. So I raised my hand in class. I can't have any friends. No. Ministry's lonely. I remember thinking, I'm going to hate this. So I got married, graduated from Bible school, got married, and went into the ministry. In our first year, it was not good. But I couldn't tell anybody. So I, I thought I couldn't. So we would go into like a Bible study, Michelle and I, and before we'd walk in, we'd I'd put my arm around her. It was just, it was plastic. And then people would say, man, you have a great marriage. We wish our marriage was like you. I remember thinking, no, you don't, bro. So one day I was preparing a sermon for the largest group I'd ever preached to. And I was nervous about it, trying to get my sermon together. And Michelle, I walked through the room. She said something that made me mad, and I yelled at her in my living room. And I said something like this. Michelle, shut up. I'm sick of you. I am a man of God. I'm trying to put my sermon together. And it's so ridiculous now. <laughs> Leave me alone. And so then I went in my office, and I could hear Michelle crying in the other room. I can only remember points of this. So I got on my knees, and I said, Lord, will you forgive me? And I could sense that he wanted me to go in there and tell Michelle what had happened, like I was sorry to her. Well, that's hard for me to do. To admit when I'm wrong, that's a major character flaw in me back in those days, and it's still hard sometimes. So I went in there to apologize to her, and I said, Michelle, I'm sorry. And, and she looked at me, and Michelle said this. She goes, who are you? She goes, I just need to know. She goes, I'm with you forever, but I need to know who you are. Are you real when you uh, were engaged with me? Are you real with me when we were dating? Are you real with me when you're preaching? Are you real with me when we walk into a Bible study and your arm is around me? Or are you being real when you yell at me in the living room and tell me to shut up? She goes, I just need to know who you are. And I remember telling her, I don't know right now. I'm sorry. So where it gets weird is when I was preparing the rest of the sermon, the Lord spoke to me. I thought I heard just a whisper, like for me to tell the church what I said to Michelle in the living room. And I asked them to forgive me. And that's when I remember saying, Lord, I can't do that. That's not how you do ministry, Lord. They taught us never to be transparent. Lord, you need to go to Bible school. They'll clear all that up. 
This is not how you do it. And so, basically, I decided not to do it. So that sermon was really bad. Uh, and so I asked everybody, hey, this isn't going good. And simultaneously, 6,000 people said, no, it's not good. And I said, the reason why, and I told them the story that I just told you about Michelle. The difference is, is when I told you it was 30 years ago, when I told them it was the day before. And I thought it was over for me. But let me tell you the truth. When I shared that with the church, it was like my Sunday school teacher became wrong. It was like he put his arms around me saying, this is my boy. Thank you for giving me something to work with. I just want somebody to be real. I looked at Michelle and asked her to forgive me, and she's like shocked. And then she did. And I learned through the process of that that God is looking for people that just take their heart out and give it to him. Why do you live life faking it? Do you know the scripture says if you confess your sins to God, he'll forgive you? But then it says, but if you confess your sins to another friend, that you'll be healed. We have a lot of Christians who are forgiven, but they are sick. Because they are doing life alone. Stop it. There's no reason to do it anymore. Have a friend. (laughs) Pick yourself up and walk across the room and meet someone. You can't be transparent with everyone. You can be authentic with everyone, but transparent with at least one. Ask the Lord to show you someone in this church you can be real with. This is a safe place to find a friend. Last point. It's your move to encourage others to follow after Christ. Look at this verse, Proverbs 11.30. He that wins souls is wise. He that wins souls is wise. Do you know, uh, a lot of Christians have never really won anyone to the Lord. But that's, a, that's kind of a weird thing because this is the biggest commission that we have. But I get it because it's scary to witness to people. But my goodness, when you have a church that is not judgmental and that really loves people and is non-spooky and like I'm sure a lot of churches are in this community, but this is one of them. And I encourage you to find a friend. Look, you might be going to heaven, but you're not enjoying the trip because you're designed by God to, to win people to the Lord. When I first moved here, and this is it, I'm going to tell you this and I'm out of here. When I first moved to Arkansas, I was shocked. It was this way in Louisiana, but more so here, and I still don't know why, but I was shocked on how many people had just become private in their faith. And they would even say, well, I believe religion and Christianity, whatever they throw out, should be private. I said, well, you know, show me one verse in the Bible where it should be private. I think what you mean is it should be personal but not private. That's what baptism is all about. It's a great way to, you know, to be public with your faith. It's an incredible moment. But I couldn't, I couldn't get them to see the value of a soul. Like when someone trips in their walk with God, like they just fall down. Couldn't get them to see the value of that. Or someone who had never known the Lord, I couldn't get them to see the value. So one day I told them the story, and I'm going to tell you what happened to me, and this is, this is my story, but 
my daughter, Haley, strong, she's strong-willed. When she was four years old, she saw a Hallmark movie, and she saw a girl running away from home, and my four-year-old strong-willed daughter made a decision. I want to run away from home, but I don't want to wait until I'm a teenager like this Hallmark movie. I want to do it now. So she planned it. She goes, I don't want to go along. I'm going to bring my two-year-old brother with me. And uh, so she talked him into it, and she said, but I can't do it in the daytime. I can only do it at night when my family is sleeping because my parents are always paying attention, so I got to wait until they go to sleep. So she packed a wagon with his diapers and her dolls and some Skittles, stuff like that, and then she woke up in the middle of the night, not by an alarm clock. She was four. It was her will that woke her up, like, it's time. She went in there to get him, and he said, I'm too little. Leave me alone. And she left him, called him a loser, and left. (laughs) Grabbed the wagon and left our house and went out of our subdivision to a four-lane highway. Busy. And walking down that road with a wagon in the nighty. Michelle and I are asleep. We didn't know. So a lady pulled over and said, hey, young lady, what are you doing? She goes, I'm running away from home, and this is so much fun. She goes, young lady, I'm going to take you back home. Get in the car. I'll take you back home. No, ma'am, I'm not allowed to ride in a car with strangers. (laughs) But you can walk on this highway freely. (laughs) Your family, woo. (laughs) So Haley decided to come home, middle of the night, an hour or so later. There's a knock on our door. We don't know who it is. We go down, open the door, and it's this lady who I'd never met and my daughter. And that's where the panic attack started. I was like, Michelle was saying, calm down. So this lady told us what had happened. And then I thanked her. We we hugged her. We prayed for her. We gave her stuff, like our cars. (laughs) And then she left. I've never seen her. And then I brought my daughter in. Okay, forget the rest of that story. Here's how it relates to you. What if Haley would have never come home? It could have happened still be looking for her. I would still be living in that cul-de-sac in Zachary, Louisiana. And I'm going to tell you, every time the phone would ring, I would, I would run. I would have kept my house phone. I would run to that phone. I would dive to the phone answering. I wouldn't say hello. I'd just say, Haley. I would pick my friends based on who was helping me find my daughter. And that's the church. There's a lot of lost boys and girls running all over this community. New Life Church, we are assigned to bring them home. Like, you got to get them home, man. But you're not going to do it if you don't love them. Thank the Lord for that lady. But the Lord wants to thank you. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for the hand, your hand.